Hey guys, welcome back to another video. In this interview episode, I'm joined by Sohan. Sohan is an engineering manager at Google. He was a group engineering manager at Microsoft prior to this. In this episode, he talks about his journey, how he got into tech, what are some of the challenges that he faced in his career progression, and what is some of the advice he gives to people who are looking to get a job in the tech industry. He also talks about how people who don't have access to a higher education institute can get a job in the tech industry. Make sure you guys like and subscribe. Let me know in the comments below what you thought of this interview and hope you guys enjoy. So hey guys, welcome back to another video. In today's interview episode, I'm joined by Sohan. Sohan is a software engineering manager at Google. He was a group engineering manager at Microsoft prior to this. Hi, Ryan. It's nice to meet you again. I'm looking forward to our chat. Uh, for a quick introduction, my name is Sohan. I'm an engineering manager at Google, uh, working out of Seattle in Google Cloud. Uh, before joining Google earlier in this year, I was working as a group engineering manager at Microsoft. I guess in my uh, typical day, I do two kinds of work. One is more repetitive and tactical in nature, where uh, my weeks are filled with a lot of meetings with my team members, my partners, my cross-functional partners. These meetings are where I gather and share information, where I try to understand um, what priorities we should be focusing on, where my time could be used to help all these people that I work with. Other part of my week is filled with what I call a seasonal or some unplanned work. So the seasonal work falls into the category of you know, performance management, uh, promotions, and um, backlog planning quarterly, half annual or annual mm -hmm. plan. There's also some on-demand work when we are, for example, uh, hiring new team members. It takes a lot of time. But yeah, in a broad stroke, uh, my work falls into these two categories. <laughs> working with people and working on um, some long-term, medium-term initiatives. Okay. So I guess before we get into a bit more detail about your story, I have a couple of rapid-fire questions that I'm going to ask you. So we'll start with the first one. Android or iOS? iOS. Okay. Favorite programming language? Ruby. Favorite IDE? I'm a Veeam guy. Okay. Well, why did you say Ruby? It's the first time I'm hearing... I have been a Ruby programmer for a very long time. Uh, the programming language is designed for developer happiness. I like the artistic part that the language has. It lets you express, it, I feel like it lets me express in a way that aligns with how I want to express myself. Mm -hmm. uh, small things like it doesn't have a lot of curly braces <laughs> in a simple mm -hmm. way. Yeah. Um, Things that I, you know, I really love in the Ruby language, how it lets, lets me express myself. Okay, so let's go, let's dive deeper into your story a bit. So walk me through a bit of your journey. What was your goal growing up? How did you end up in tech? If I think about sort of when I was in high school, I feel like at that time I was reading a lot, a lot of novels, and I wanted to be a writer. thought there would be a future where I could, you know, think about an imaginary world or, or extrapolate from my world and write engaging novels. And then like many other people, you know, I went into different stages of life. When I was in college, I wanted to be a professor. <laughs> I wanted to be a political leader because I thought there were so many problems that, you know, were interesting to solve that had a big impact that I could do as a political leader. Later, I wanted to be an entrepreneur and thought maybe my skills as an engineer you know, could be used to build high-value businesses. So a lot of different things. Um, I, I did grow up in Bangladesh, and I moved to Canada in 2009. 
Primarily, okay. I wanted to get a master's and get a sort of experience in the Western world. So I did my master's and then also did my PhD in Canada. Lived in Calgary for a long time uh, before moving to Vancouver for a bit. And now I'm living in Seattle. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, so you mentioned you did your master's and PhD here in Canada. Yes. So what was your PhD about? Okay. I worked on API usability as the main area mm -hmm. uh, of research. As a developer myself, uh, you know, ran into a lot of scenarios where I thought like it could be a more delightful experience if APIs were designed mm -hmm. in certain ways, documented in certain ways. Mm -hmm. More specifically, I focused on automated API documentation, like really high quality example oriented API documentation. Okay. And so when did this like um, transition happen in your um, in your life, like where you decided to go into industry as opposed to like further down into research? Um, I always stayed in the industry. Uh, that's why even my mm -hmm. PhD topic is very um, applied, you'd say. Uh, so mm -hmm. even during my master's, undergrad, PhD, I, I kept working through it in industry. So I did not really transition. There was a point I saw, I said I wanted to be a professor. And uh, I originally wanted to go back to Bangladesh. And I thought having a PhD and research experience would help with that career choice. Mm -hmm. But then my life decision changed and you know, didn't pursue the academic career. Okay. Yeah. So you mentioned you stayed into industry with industry, like doing your studies as well. So were you like working in startups or like with established tech companies during that um, time? During my undergrad, I started freelancing. So, you know, websites like mm -hmm. get a coder, get a freelancer, doing yeah. some small jobs. Um, and then, uh, the last final year of undergrad, I joined a startup, uh, American company, but uh, in an offshore office in Bangladesh, mm -hmm. was their first hire actually. Uh, so did that for three years, moved to Canada, joined another startup in the healthcare space, and then uh, joined consulting company ThoughtWorks for a bit, a uh, couple of years. Then I joined another startup that just got acquired by a bigger company, which then got acquired by Cisco, and I was there for eight years. That was during my mm -hmm. PhD days, mm -hmm. and, then, and then Microsoft and Google. Okay. Yeah. So you've had a fair share of um, working in different environments, different companies. So on that point, what were like some of the major challenges that you faced, like as you um, progress through your career? I'd say like the challenges would be of two categories. Uh, one is sort of internal challenge. As I said, I had many different interests. I wasn't sure if I wanted to be a professor or I want to remain technical or become a manager, or I should focus on a <laughs> domain that I like versus you know, get a diverse set of domains. So a lot of this challenge still remains, you know, mm -hmm. uh, like uh, what should I do for the next 10 years? I wish I had a, like a crystal ball, mm -hmm. but that, that is an internal challenge is focusing on uh, finding an area to focus. The external challenge I found many kinds where, you know, work and life kind of, I like to keep a good balance. Mm -hmm. So it means that uh, sometimes I wanted to live in a city where, you know, interesting opportunities were rare, or, or sometimes I really liked working in a company with a team, but the kind of work I wanted to do was not, you know, feasible in that space. It's like, I appreciate that in my career, I had a lot of opportunities mm -hmm. to work on new products, you know, bring them to life, build a great business out of it. 
but at the same time, there are a lot of challenges associated to things that were not in my control always. Mm-hmm. In the balance, though, I feel like I had, you know, a really good environment. When I look at my career, looking back, challenge is not something that is overpowering. It feels like I had challenges where there's like always came with like good opportunities. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. So I'm sure. So now you're a manager at Google. Previous to that, you were a manager at um, Microsoft. So in your in your career progression so far, you've seen a lot of young people, a lot of junior people join your team or join the the company that you're working in. So on that note, what do you think are some of the things that people early in their career get wrong? Like some challenges that they face and how they should appropriately respond to those. Great question. Uh... Typically, when someone new starts in the industry, uh, they come with you know, some education, some experience behind mm-hmm. them. Um, a lot of the new hires, also it kind of relies on the, depends on the environment quite a bit. But a lot of the new hires fall into this trap of uh, uh, forming a bubble around them. Mm-hmm. So the bubble could be based on the kind of people they work with, kind of technologies they use, kind of business domain they're in, where it's very easy to get comfortable in mm-hmm. you know, in their bubble. And it actually takes a lot of effort to break that bubble or expand that bubble, think about that way. Um, so that's one area I've seen where people would come with like really good college degree, huge achievement in their academic life, come into a job, will do really well in the job, but then uh, later down the road would find themselves in a bubble. The idea in this case is to you know, continuously start looking outside the bubble, you know, you know, building relationships with people that maybe work in different industry, maybe work mm-hmm. in different kind of businesses, you know, attending conferences, meetups, and expanding the mm-hmm. bubble a little bit where whatever they are doing, they're learning beyond that because the next good opportunity could come from those areas. It's also just mm-hmm. nice to learn new things. Okay, yeah, yeah. No, that's definitely useful because someone who is in their early stages of this career, that's also another thing I need to be mindful of as well, is always, always like try not to be comfortable, like always be learning new stuff and always strive for like learning about new new things. So yeah, so I guess on this note, on new hires, so you're... You've had a lot of experience being a manager and you've obviously dealt with um, a lot of people with different backgrounds. So someone who has industry experience comes in and works for you or someone who is just freshly off of um, university. So with all these different types of people that you worked with, um, there are there's a lot of people who want to get a tech job, like who don't necessarily perhaps are not in a uh, world class university or don't have a lot of um, experience working in the industry. So for those people, what is your advice? Like, how can they get noticed? Yeah, it's another great question. I think, uh, especially in the tech industry, there is like a level playing field in many ways. Mm -hmm. It's because so much of the content for learning software technology is available online on free platforms Mm -hmm. even, or or platforms that are not as expensive as uh, like a top-graded university education. So in a way, there is a level playing field for a lot of people. Things are accessible to Mm -hmm. a lot of people across the globe. Um, So that's the first thing. The second thing is, uh, I feel like the industry in general 
is willing to give people a chance who are curious, who have a passion for this area. Um, so in my you know, journey as a hiring manager, I've hired quite a few people from non-traditional backgrounds mm-hmm. or, or backgrounds where, you know, what you mentioned, maybe not necessarily from a known university or even not a known country in many ways. Mm-hmm. The thing that stood out to me was it was clear to tell that they have a passion behind it. They have spent the time to learn. And even though they didn't have the privilege of a system working for them, mm-hmm. They have made the system uh, work for them, and they have gone beyond a typical path. So I've had like the pleasure of working with a lot of really good mm-hmm. engineers. Another thing I wanted to mention is tech is actually like a vast space as well. Uh, like tech is not just software development. There is a ton of career mm-hmm. opportunities in design, uh, visual design, product design project management, security, you know, privacy, legal. So it's possible that a lot of people that are trying to get into tech, you know, maybe it's harder for some people to get in one side of tech, but maybe they have a passion in another side Mm -hmm. where, uh, you know, they could have a really good role to play. And again, in a way, there is a better level playing field in tech because so much content is available for Mm self-consumption. And so, so on that note, what would some of the skills you'd advise someone who is aspiring to get into the tech industry? Like what skills should they focus on? Yeah. So, I mean, first thing would be for them to understand what it is that they want to do in tech. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and, you know, could be like they have some connections, could be that they are naturally good designers, could be that, you know, they have a good programming mind already. And then if someone could, you know, really like if they're looking for a job, it's possible to go through the job boards and find out what kind of experience people are seeking, what kind of skills people are seeking. And it helps to know those things before going into a job search and interview process, because then then they're prepared you know, to face yeah. those questions. Yeah. So, so on this note, you mentioned now, um, we're at a point where, especially for the tech industry, a lot of the education required to get into a tech industry is now accessible to everyone. Mm-hmm. So platforms like YouTube, and there's a lot of other websites as well who offer these um, educational programs. So just commenting on, say, the traditional method of getting a job, so going through like a, a university degree, do you think these things are now obsolete in today's age? I wouldn't go as far as, you know, saying that these are obsolete. I think there is a value people learn in many different ways. Mm-hmm. Universities have the value that even if you don't have like a great self-discipline to go through like taking 10 courses, universities have a structure and routine that helps a lot of people. And then yeah. you, you make good connections with, you know, your peer groups, with your teachers and that itself is quite valuable for life. You develop other skills going to an university. So I don't think it's obsolete. If anything, what it means is maybe you go to university and you are you know, not getting access to the top quality material mm-hmm. in your university, but you could get it online. Or, or maybe like for some reason you can't attend the university, but you could still have access. I think it's more complimentary than either or situation. 
Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So I guess so shifting gears a bit back. So focusing on your experiences with different companies. So what's the biggest difference um, between working for Google or Microsoft? So you've held engineering, uh, not it's engineering, sorry, manage, uh, management positions at both. Yeah. So what's the biggest difference that you've noticed? <laughs> Good question. It's kind of hard to tell because um, obviously like I'm currently at Google and there's this situation with my past employer. Um, what I would say is these two companies have a lot of similarities, uh, especially if you think about these are both very innovative companies. They are known to take really good care of people. They have exceptionally good business records for many decades already. And they are seen worldwide as a company where you can work to make a worldwide impact. Yeah. So a lot of similarities. So in the critical areas, I would say, these two companies are not really that different. Mm-hmm. Now, now, I've seen some differences, obviously. And the main difference that comes to my mind is Google culturally tends to prefer a more uniform set of tools and practices. So Mm -hmm. to to be more specific, for example, we have a monorepo that hosts all of Google source code in one place. And there's a tremendous amount of tooling built for taking that code and running your tests, deploying those to production, monitoring things in production. Uh, very uniform across the company for the most part. Same thing applies to hiring. Hiring still tends to be you know, very central, you know, get hired to the company and then find a team. So you know, movements within teams tend to be very easy because you get hired and you mm-hmm. know, level based on like a shared uh, understanding of it, shared pool of it. Uh, Microsoft is different where teams prefer to choose, pick and choose their own tools and practices in many cases. As I said, both are very successful businesses. So there's evidence that both can work. I don't know that one is better than another. But that's one difference I have noticed between the two companies, you know, that Mm -hmm. comes to my mind when you ask that question. Okay, yeah, yeah. So so as you talk a bit more about your experience, so you've held um, management position at both companies and you've been responsible for engineers and you've also been responsible for managing other managers as well. So what? Uh, so I want to learn a bit about your management style. So what are some of your leadership principles? I'm going to go back to sort of my life's principles mm-hmm. to answer that question. I feel like when I look at my life, I've always wanted to make meaningful connections, uh, meaningful connections with people, but also with causes. So I've always wanted to sort of work with good people on a good purpose. That is that is how I see my leadership slash management philosophy as well. The difference between let's say managing managers and engineers again there's like a lot of similarity in the end i'm building meaningful relationships with these people relationships can't be built without trust that's the like thing you need for meaningful relationships so building good trust mutually trustful relationship i'm trying to understand what motivates people so they can you know talk to me and i can talk to them and you know Hopefully we find opportunities that are motivating and interesting for them. So that part is very similar between you know, leading a manager versus an individual engineer. I feel like the, the main difference is you know, when we are managing managers, we are talking about topics like you know, organization designs, like how should the teams be? How big should the team be? You know, what kind of roles do we need in the team? 
what should be the you know next six months to a year's roadmap for the team? So the the scale of conversation or leadership there tends to be you know, a little bit bigger in some sense. Mm-hmm. And when working with individuals, a lot of the times the focus tends to be: is this the right project for this person to work on? You know? mm-hmm. And does this person have the support they need to successfully deliver this project? Does it you know yeah. help them in their career? Is it interesting for them? So where there's like a person to project relationship and the individual a lot, you know, mm-hmm. for the manager's case, there's like the whole organization is in the scope. Is, is it the right org structure we have? Should, should this be something mm-hmm. different for the whole team to be effective? But, but overall, like we are looking for in management, like for myself, like how can I be a value multiplier? What can I do that mm-hmm. makes everyone a little bit more productive? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, I guess we'll end off with the final question. So what is your advice for young people? So young people here means high school students or college students who don't, who aren't really sure what they want to do, but they really believe like they can do something big. So what's your advice for for them? Like how do they live a life that they can be proud of? Yeah, great question. Bit of a philosophical question. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd say the first thing is like, you gotta enjoy your life. <laughs> yeah. You gotta enjoy your life. Let's start from that. And I think, again, as I said, like my life's philosophy is to build meaningful connections with people and cause. So even young people are, are not too young to build meaningful connections with people around them in their communities around the world and, and connections with the cause, things that they are personally passionate about. I feel like once that connection is there, it's much easier to enjoy their time, you know, do meaningful work because whatever they do, they do it because of that cause that they're personally connected to. Yeah. And, and generally like other things like, you know, fame and, you know, wealth and, you know, a lot of other things follow when that connection to people and cause is there. Mm-hmm. And generally people feel quite content. I don't know if proud is the word, but at least they feel content about you know, when they, when they go to bed every night that, you know, this day was worth, you know, living for. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much, Sohan, for joining me and answering some of my questions. And Thanks, Ryan. Okay. Thanks for having me. So I'll see you guys no in the next episode. Hope you guys have enjoyed this one. Uh, please like, subscribe if you haven't already. And let me know in the comments down below what you guys thought of this episode and what questions I should ask my future guests. So I'll see you guys in the next video.